0: Let's turn to Paul's letter to the Romans, chapter 9. This morning we'll be considering verse 9 to 13 as we continue with our studies through the book of Romans. Romans 9, let's read from verse 1 uh, to verse 13. Please hear the word of God. I am speaking the truth in Christ. I am not lying. My conscience bears me witness in the Holy Spirit that I have great sorrow and unceasing anguish in my heart. Oh, I could wish that I myself were accursed and cut off from Christ for the sake of my brothers, my kinsmen, according to the flesh. They are Israelites and to them belong the adoption, the glory, the covenants, the giving of the law, the worship and the promises to them belong the patriarchs, and from their race, according to the flesh is a Christ who is God, over all, blessed forever. Amen. But it is not as though the word of God has failed, for not all who are descended from Israel belong to Israel, and not all are children of Abraham because they are his offspring, but through Isaac shall your offspring be named. This means that it is not the children of the flesh who are the children of God, but the children of the promise are counted as offspring this is what the promise said about this time next year i will return and sarah shall have a son and not only so but also when Rebekah had conceived children by one man our forefather isaac though they were not yet born it had not uh, and, and had done nothing either good or bad in order that god's purpose of election might continue not because of works but because of him who calls she was told the older will serve the young as it is written jacob i loved but Esau i hated the grass withers the flower fades but the word of god will stand forever let's stand to him in prayer Lord, we thank you for your word this morning. We thank you, Lord, for the glorious truths before us. And we cannot help but be amazed by your grace, for though we all deserved wrath and condemnation, Lord, you had mercy upon us. And this morning we will hear of your purpose of election. Please help us to grasp the heights of your holy word. Help us learn to receive it with meekness, the implanted word, which is able to save our souls. And we pray this for the glory of your name. Amen. Last week, we saw that God's word has not failed regarding the salvation of the Israelites as a nation. Because there was that clarification that not all Israel is Israel. Not all who are descended from Israel belong to Israel. And not all who are Abraham's children are his offspring. But really it is the children of promise. It's the the, the children of the promise who are the children of God we saw that the true Israel is the children of God and the children of God are the children of the promise children of promise are the elect of God found out that this is what the Old Testament taught and it is illustrated by these two illustrations from uh, two families from Abraham's sons, Ismail and Isaac, and Isaac's family. Uh, Isaac and his wife Rebekah are named, are mentioned, but also there are two sons, Esau and Jacob. So, my dear brothers and sisters, this is a doctrine of election. We cannot excuse it away, we cannot run away from it. This is it. And we have to ask ourselves, what does the Bible say? So this morning, I have the privilege of seeking to show you God's purpose of election. Because uh, verse 11 says, in order that God's purpose of election might continue. And the first thing then that we see here is god's purpose of election illustrated as i already pointed out it's illustrated with isaac began to isaac and ismail abraham's sons and it's illustrated by jacob and Esau, isaac's sons with rebecca being their mother So that's the first thing, the illustration of the doctrine of election. And then secondly, it's God's purpose of election explained. There are clarifications and so forth. And then finally, we have God's purpose of election applied. So it is illustrated, explained, and applied. Let's consider the first point that it's it's illustrated. Verse 8. not the children of the flesh. Who are the children of God? But the children of the promise are are counted as offspring. Who are the children of God? Is it everyone who has been created by God? Or is it some children? Is everyone created by God, God's child? The Bible says no. It's the children of of the promise who are really counted as godly offspring. Then goes on to illustrate illustrate this fact in verse 9, using the children both through Sarah. Abraham's wife, who was very old, but who God used to bring forth the child of the promise. And Rebekah, Isaac's wife, through whom two children were born, that is twins, uh, Esau and uh, Isaac, uh, excuse me, and uh, Jacob. We notice that uh, God is very gracious in his word. The way he communicates his truth to us is very thorough and gracious. He knows our frames, that we are dust. And so he not only teaches us by giving instructions, but he also illustrates the truth. And so in this text then, he has two illustrations to show the truth that he is bringing to us first with regard to Isaac who was a son of God's promise because we read in verse 9 for this is what the promise said about this time next year I will return and Sarah shall have a son this illustration on God's promise was spoken in Genesis 18 verse 10 almost verbatim where we read of the angel of the Lord you know those two or rather those three uh, angels who really appeared like men to the eyes of uh, Abraham had come to say that Sodom and Gomorrah where Lot was was not doing very well they were walking in rebellion and wickedness and God was going to visit them with his wrath and Abraham went on to plead for them, and eventually God rescued Lot. But that's not all. Before they left, they gave this uh, this promise. In Genesis 18, go there, you will see uh, this. We read that they, before they left, they asked where is Sarah your wife? Almost a very casual question, isn't it? And then Abraham said, she is in the tent. Now notice that those who are angels, one of them is referred to as the Lord, as Yahweh. If you notice it's in the capitals. This is, this is God, Yahweh. I will surely return God says, Yahweh says, I will surely return to you about this time next year, and Sarah, your wife, shall have a son. Interesting enough, Sarah was listening, peeping. And the Bible says that as she was behind the tent door, she heard what was happening, and she went, What is that? Sarah shall have a son. Wait a minute. Do they know what Sarah they are talking about? And the Lord got rid of it. And uh, then he asked, when Sarah loved, to herself. In other words, she mocked herself. She could not believe what was being said. Because she was as barren as barren can be. And she was as old as old can be. And then the Lord said to Abraham, why did Sarah love? Remember that this is God. He could see through the veil of the tent. And he asked Abraham, why did Sarah love? And say, shall I indeed bear a son, bear a child now that I am old? And what is God's question? Is anything too hard for Yahweh? What's the answer? Is anything too hard for the Lord? At the appointed time, I will return to you. This is now a repetition being farmed up as strongly as it can be. At the appointed time, I will return to you about this time next year and Sarah shall have a son. There goes God's promise. The promise was given by the covenant-keeping God. Yahweh translated Lord, all capitals by ESV. And we notice that God's purpose is established by a way of a promise. God promised to deliver The promise personally said, At this time, next year, I shall return. It was going to take exactly a year before God's promise was to be fulfilled. A question for you Did God return the same time the following year? Did Sarah have a son? God's purpose of election then stands, doesn't it the story in genesis goes into the destruction of sodom and then abimelech but then later in chapter 21 we read of the birth of isaac and this is what we read in chapter 21 of genesis the bible says the lord visited who is the lord there yahweh the lord visited sarah as he had said as he Had said. The Lord visited Sarah as he had said, and the Lord did to Sarah as he had promised. Sarah conceived and bore Abraham a son in his old age. Don't imagine that they had grown any younger in his old age at the time of which god had spoken to him i mean can you listen to that emphasis of how much when god speaks it comes to pass it cannot not come to pass the lord visited abraham the lord visited sarah just had as he had promised He promised to visit, and he visited. He promised that Sarah shall have a son. Sarah had a son. Sarah conceived and gave birth to Isaac at the time of which God had spoken to him. My brothers and sisters, God is not man that he should lie or a son of man that he should change his mind. When he says he will do something, he will surely do it. He will certainly do it. When he speaks, he fulfills it. So the Bible says in Numbers 23 verse 19. Then notice, secondly, that Jacob was also a recipient of God's gracious love just like Isaac was because the Bible goes on to say and not only so but also when Rebekah had conceived children by one man our forefather Isaac the second il- illustration is as spectacular as the first one from Abraham's family and it's still about Isaac but now not to do with Abraham's grandchildren, but now to do with Abraham's grandchildren, not Abraham's son. Esau and Jacob are conceived together as twins. They were both conceived by Rebekah through Isaac, Abraham's son. She conceived the two children as twins by one man, our forefather Isaac. It's a very interesting phrase, our forefather Isaac. Remember, we've already been counted as children of the promise, and if children, therefore, Israel of God. Isn't it? We belong to Israel now, as we saw earlier. Isaac is our forefather because he was a son of the promise. Our forefather, for we are as much children of faith as much as he was. Amen. That's not really the point. Rather, it is that these twins, while they were in the womb of their mother, a divine promise was made in favor of one and not the other while there was favor for the younger jacob there was disfavor for the older esau the elder will serve the younger what had the younger done to deserve this what had he done yes he was a good boy in his mother's womb Was not kicking around his mother that hard. What had Jacob done to this to deserve his favor? What does the Bible say? The two children. Oh, and for your information, it's not. The two fetuses, it is the two children in their mother's womb identified by their names. They're not a mass of cells, as wicked men tell us when they want to propose abortion. These are children in their mother's womb because God believes and teaches us that faith, uh, I mean, that uh, life begins at conception. It is at conception, not at birth. And you would be wiser to celebrate your conception rather than your birthdays. What had these children done to deserve this? The Bible says this was before they had done either good or evil. One of them was loved and the other was hated. Esau was hated by God, the Bible says. And for your information, even though the Bible says that Esau high hated, he didn't say about that one. Now it's not because Esau was such a, a bad child in his mother's womb. It's not that Jacob was such a good child in his mother's womb. It's not because of what they had done, whether good or evil, but because of God. It had nothing to do with the mother. It had nothing to do with the father. It had everything to do with God. It is because of God's purpose of election, which must always stand. I don't know how you can be a minion. I don't know how you can read this and be a minion. I mean, it is as clear as daylight sun, not in July, but it is so clear. God's purpose of election must stand. So then it is explained, having been illustrated in the second place. Because then we are asking ourselves, what is God's purpose of election? It's explained in the following statement. Though they were not yet born, and had done nothing either good or bad, in order that God's purpose of election might continue, not because of works, but because of him who calls, she was told. It had nothing to do with Isaac being... The father of promise, he wasn't really not the father of promise, was he? He was the child of promise. It was not to do with Isaac. It was not to do with Rebecca. It was not to do with the twins. It was not to do with their grandfather, Abraham, or their grandmother, Sarah. It was everything to do with God. They had not done nothing to deserve what they got. They were unborn. You notice that even though they were unborn, they were not innocent angels. As many parents want to believe, you can hear grandparents say, my angel was born. They were as much children of Adam as we are. The Bible is very clear that therefore just as sin came into the world through one man and so death through sin and so death spread to all men because all sin there were as much us in the womb as there would be sinners out of the womb i'm not in any way saying that we uh, we don't care for our children or we don't value them but i'm saying we need to remember that they are simply young sinners but you also notice that they were not going to to be able to do anything or to be in a condition that they could do anything to deserve God's favor. So when we read that one was under divine favor, but the other one was not, it was not because of them, but because of him, God. Esau was left to his own sins. And we shall learn in verse 22, 24 that God desiring to show his wrath and to make known his power endured with much patience vessels of wrath prepared for destruction in order to make known his riches of his the riches of his glory or vessels of mercy which he has prepared beforehand for glory even us whom he has called not from the Jews only but also from the Gentiles So Jacob was a recipient of God's favor. That favor, that grace brought him to God's mercy, to God's love. And he became an elect of God. Jacob was not chosen because of any good he had done or his parents had done. In fact, as he was born, he turned out to be a wicked liar, didn't he? As his name suggested. Yet God, out of his mercy, rescued him from his sins and made him his child. Our confession of faith states, by the decrees of God, for the manifestation of his glory, some men and angels are predestined or foreordained to eternal life through Jesus Christ, to the praise of his glorious grace. Others being left to act in their sin, to their just condemnation, to the praise of his glorious grace. In First Timothy 5, we read about elect angels. In Matthew 25, verse 34, we read that the Lord Jesus Christ as the sovereign king of kings will say to those on his right, come, you who are blessed by my father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. This shows the purpose of election is to make rebel sinners recipient of his kingdom where righteousness dwells. The gospel is clear that in salvation we give up our sins to Christ in repentance and receive the righteousness of Christ in faith. In Second Timothy 2 Timothy 219, we are told of God's firm foundation, which bears this seal. The Lord knows those who are his and let everyone who names the name of the Lord depart from iniquity. Clearly then, these elect angels and these elect men are particularly and unchangeably designed and their number so certain so definite that it cannot be either increased or diminished did did the Lord not tell the disciples in the upper room on the eve of his crucifixion I know whom I have chosen in John chapter 13 verse 18 That's what he said. I know whom I have chosen. So then we ask the question, when did God do this choosing? When did God elect? When we dig into the scriptures and scrutinize further the timing of his choice in election. We discover that before God said, Let there be light. Before God created the world. Before God put in place the foundation of the universe. He chose us. That's what the Bible says in Ephesians chapter 1, verse 4 to 6. Even as he chose us in in Christ, when? Before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before him. It goes on to say, in love, God predestined us for adoption to himself as sons through Jesus Christ, according to the purpose of his will, to the praise of his glorious grace, with which he has blessed us in the beloved. This is such a glorious plan. But this is also such a definite plan. But this is also such a certain, sure plan. Our salvation, brothers and sisters, our salvation does not depend on us. It depends on God. We did not choose God. The preacher rises up and he says, you've had the gospel, you've had the word of God. Choose life, not death. Choose Christ today. And you're told, want to choose Christ dedicated by your hand. Come forward. Repeat this prayer after me. Lies, 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 preachers. To tell a dead sinner choose God, to tell a rebel choose God, is to lie to the rebel. It is not the human will that chooses and it's definitely not our will that brought us into the grace of God. It is not it is the divine choice out of his grace we later we read later in verse 16 so then it depends not on human will or exertion but on the pastor but on your father. No. It depends not on human will or exertion, but on God, who has mercy. How else can you read that statement? How else? Do they read that statement for them to decide, no, no, no. It doesn't depend really on God's mercy. It depends on me convincing them to raise their hands and to repeat my prayer. Where do they read that? If you do not hear the words of Paul there in Romans 916, then hear the words written in John, in the Gospel of John, chapter 1 verse 13 it is not the will of the flesh or the will of man but the will of god when we look at verse 12 we have this shocking statement the older will serve the younger And we are wondering, wait, the older will serve the younger, but none of them deserves what they are getting. Why? Why would God reverse what seemed like the right order that he himself instituted? Is he not a God of order and not of confusion? Why does he say that the younger will serve the older? He is establishing here a principle. And this is the principle. That he is sovereign in this matter. He has the prerogative to say what should be said. To do what should be done no one can question his will or murmur at his wise decrees. he is sovereign it is a divine prerogative and god does not follow human norms he is god and he is the one who designs and determines what happens he is god and he takes counsel from no one he shares his glory with no one he is god and he most often chooses the most unlikely ones to be his he chooses jacob the younger and not esau the older he chooses the one and bypasses the other he delights to reverse the way people think he often chooses the one that appears to be the farthest away from him and passes over the one that we would have said oh that's that's the one uh, now, one that you say, that one is passed over, and it's the next one that is chosen. When you say I am sure of that, God says, No, you're not. God delights in doing the unexpected because he is God. His thoughts are not like ours. And this is what we read in First Corinthians chapter one, verse twenty six through thirty-one and it's it's coming home. Paul says, for consider your calling, brothers. Consider your calling, brothers. How many of you are wise? Hands up. And then he says, not many of you were well, wise, so I expected at least one hand. He doesn't, say, he doesn't say there, not any of you is wise, does he? You always need to see what the Bible does not say. Anyway, consider your calling nonetheless. Brothers, not many of you are wise according to worldly students. Who are you? How many of you were powerful by worldly students? And how many of you are of noble birth? I don't see any king here or I don't see any knight here. All I see here are two watuwa kawaida. Isn't it? Just come on us like we all are. And then the Bible says, but God chose what is foolish in the world. Why? To shame the wise. God chose what is weak in the world to shame the strong. God chose what is low and despised in the world, even things that are not, to bring to nothing things that are, so that no human being might boast in the presence of God. And because of him, you are in Christ Jesus, who became to us wisdom from God. Righteousness and sanctification and redemption, so that as it is written, let the one who boasts, boasts in the Lord. So we are foolish, but because Christ has become to us the wisdom of God, what are we? Wise. Amen. And when you look around, we wonder, oh God, please save our president. Oh God, save the chief justice and those powerful guys. And he tends not to save them because they are already wise in their own eyes and powerful in their own eyes and they think themselves too great and they think going to church like these would only make sense if they would be given the pulpit to bring politics. Not here. Anyway, we need to realize that when the Lord chose us, he saw that the world will call us good for nothing. But now we see God making us in Christ, become wisdom from God, righteousness, sanctification, redemption. And that list is not exhaustive, so that we can only boast and glory in Christ. But what do we make of this statement, which is even more shocking? I mean, the older will serve the younger is not very shocking. But listen to the next statement Jacob. I loved, but Esau, I hated. Coming from who? Coming from God. And now we, is, is God not God of love, and God of mercy, God of grace? Yes. Does not John say that God is love? Yes. How is it that Malachi can write that God hated Esau? Did he misunderstand God or something? And how can Paul endorse what Malachi wrote? Esau, I hated, is nerve-wracking. But Esau, I hated. What does that mean? clearly doesn't mean is who I loved. It can't mean that, isn't it? That, that, that would uh, violate the rule of non-contradiction. Is it that he loved is or less? It's actually that God rejected his he rejected him because he left him to his own sins. It's not that he found these twins together going in the right direction and said, Jacob, you're going in the right direction. Esau, turn back. This is the right direction. Take it. And then effectively misled Esau to go to hell. It's not like that. It is that these two gentlemen were both walking very fast once hell. And then he came and graciously grabbed the hand of Jacob and said, Jacob, you're not headed in the right direction. You need to follow me to heaven. And he did not do anything with his. That's the kind of rejection we're talking about here. He left him to the freedom of his own will, he left him to his own sins, he left him to do what he wanted to do anyway. And for your information, there was no resistance for Esau in his direction towards hell. But there was a lot of resistance for Jacob to turn him around. Jacob did not want to follow God. They had to be wrestling. You know that. So many of us who are saved kicking, and screaming, but God saved us nonetheless. I remember I did not want to be saved. I did not go to church to meet God when the Lord saved me on that chilly morning. No, I had gone to church, not to look for God, but to look for my friend, but God saved me nonetheless. He left Esau to his own sins. He did not extend his grace to him. But still, I suppose we can ask the question, why? Why? It was because of God's holiness and infinite wisdom. And for his own glory. But it was also because of Esau's own unholiness, Esau's sins and Esau's rebellion. He left him to the freedom of his own will, to do what he wanted to do anyway. He did not send the Holy Spirit to regenerate him. He did not send his son to die for him. He actually had animosity for Esau. And rightly so, because Esau left, his, left in his sin, was flagrant, in its violation of God's law and holiness. That is the doctrine of election explained. Let us now apply it to ourselves. And this is where there would be more screaming and shouting. When it's supplied, many of us are happy to learn of it and to leave it in the Bible. We don't want to to take it home. But brothers and sisters, you must take this home. You must carry this in your heart. So I have to apply it to you. The first thing then I want to tell you is that God's purpose is graciously sweet. Imagine if Jacob had been left to the freedom of his own will. what would have happened? That world generation would have been gone. So it is such good news to know that we are saved by grace. Though we deserved death because of our sins, though we deserved hell because of our sins, we've been given life, we've been given heaven, we've been made partakers of salvation. Though we were children of wrath, We are now children of God. Though we were going to hell because of our sins, we are now going to heaven to glory. We shall inherit salvation and glory all because of the gracious electing love of God poured upon us and we did not deserve it. How can we not say hallelujah? How can we not say praise the Lord? How can we not sing with Sibomana, how the grace of God amazes me. How can we we not sing with Newton, amazing grace? How sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. How, How can we not? How can we not offer immortal praises to our God? Number two, in application, God's purposes are written. I do not need to manufacture anything. I do not need to do theological gymnastics to change the truth. I do not need to give excuses to the text written. You know, when when the Bible says, Jacob, I loved, but Esau, I hash it. I don't need to hash anything. It is clearly spelled out. It is in black and ink. And it is throughout the scriptures. In these passages, we see Paul employ biblical hermeneutics, interpreting scriptures with, With scriptures, Paul knew analogy of faith, and so he illustrates using scriptures. He applies the word of God using scriptures and accurately. You notice how Paul rightly handles the word of truth. He's such a skilled expositor, citing he cites a verse after another. And he interprets scripture with scripture so that he easily demonstrates that scripture has one cohesive message. This is what we are to do. We are to let the word of God dwell richly in us. We are to use scripture to teach scripture, the Bible to teach the Bible. We are to teach and interpret scripture with scripture and illustrate scripture using scriptures. And when you do that, the Bible is so easy to understand. When you see you reading any text from the Bible, and it doesn't tally with the rest of the Bible, then know who is wrong. Whenever you come to that conclusion that the Bible is contradictory, then know who is contradictory. You, not the Bible. So there are people who, because of their hatred of the doctrine of election, will do all sorts of gymnastics to explain all these away. Please, don't do that. Don't do that. Don't do that. Because finally, God's purpose of election is exclusive. And I suppose this is where now the rubber meets the road. The point has been made that not all Israel is Israel. Not all Isaac's sons are Isaac's sons. Not all Abraham's sons are Abraham's sons. Isaac had one son that was chosen to be saved, Jacob. The other son, Esau, was not chosen to be saved. Can you see the implication of that for your own family? My dear brother, you who is a father. We all well know that even within families today that go to church, not everyone is necessarily saved. It is possible to have a godly father. He goes to church, he is saved. But not all his children will be saved necessarily. That's the way it was with Abraham, as godly as he was. That's the way it was for Isaac, as godly as he was. That's the way it has always been. In your own father's house, are you all believers? If you are, praise the Lord. But really the truth is, yes, the truth is not all are saved. Not all will be saved. Of course, God's election is both inclusive and exclusive at the same time. And that's the way with the gospel. You know, here I am preaching this truth. Some of of you will go home saying, yeah, that passage was explained well. Some of you will go home saying, I wish I didn't go to church today. What is that he was talking about? That's the way it was. Whenever Paul went preaching the gospel, some people received the word of God with gladness. What about others? They beat him up. they, They did not just reject the word of God, they beat him up. Completely rejected it. The gospel is a two edged sword. It both saves and condemns at the same time. It saves those who believe in the Lord Jesus Christ who is the object of the gospel. But those who reject Christ, who is freely offered in the gospel, are condemned. For the Bible says, 1 Corinthians 1.18, the word of the cross is folly to those who are perishing. But to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. Not just that, even we preachers, including Paul, we who preach the gospel like Paul can say what Paul said in 2nd Corinthians chapter 2 verse 15 to 16. He said, for we are the aroma of Christ to God among those who are being saved and among those who are perishing to one a fragrance from death to death to the other, a fragrance from life to life. And he, he steps back and he says, Who is sufficient for these things? riches are the aroma of Christ to God among those who are being saved, yet also aroma, a fragrance from death to death to those who are perishing. So, what does this mean for you? It doesn't mean that you are not elect, necessarily. It doesn't mean that. The fact that God brought you today to hear his word shows God's mercy. Because Paul knew that the Thessalonian church had God's elect among them because, you know, he says, you know he says, "I know brothers that God has chosen you. why? How did Paul know that God had chosen some people there in the thessalonica? Are you familiar with that? But 1 Corinthians chapter 1 verse 4For we know brothers loved by God that he has chosen you. How? Why? Because Our gospel came to you not only in word but also in power and in the Holy Spirit and with full conviction. And you know what kind of man we proved to be among you for your sake. And you became. You see, when you hear the word of God like you're hearing it this morning, this, this afternoon, what you do with it, if you refuse to hear and to receive and you reject The Lord Jesus Christ who is offered in the gospel. And you hear the gospel over and over again and you're not convinced. You hear it again, again, again from different preachers and you're not convinced. Are you not preparing yourself for a day of slaughter? That's what you're doing. Because the Bible says when you hear his voice, do not harden your heart in rebellion. Today is the day of salvation. So why should you rise up from your seat right now and go without Christ? Where are you going without Christ? Why would you live here without Christ? He has been gracious to you to allow you to hear the gospel this morning and your responsibility is to turn to him now in faith in Christ and believe without any more procrastination without postponing any more. Whether you are young or old, you can believe in Christ now and be saved. And then we will know, oh, God has chosen you because when you had the gospel, you believed in Christ, you repented of your sins. Please don't say pastor has said, some of my children will be saved, others will not be saved. And God will elect them anyway. Actually, he did it before the foundation of the world. Forget about the devotion, forget about reading the Bible for them. What's the hope? What do you think I should tell you? I would tell you, you've been sitting here all this time and you did not understand anything I said. What I said is this, God is sovereign, he saves whoever he will save. But, God is sovereign and he has sovereignly appointed the means by which you will save. And the means by which you will save your children is his word. Use it. The means by which you will save your sons and your daughters is your prayers. Pray for them. By no means did I say, God will elect anyway. Whether you pray for them, you do not pray for them, whether you read the word of God to them, whether you have devotion, I did not say that. It is you exposing your own spiritual laziness. You say that. And no one by any means should say, It is better not to have any child at all, because I don't know what will become of them. That's all faulty thinking. Don't think like that. Children are a heritage from the Lord, the fruit of the womb. Have children. And then you know what will happen, Psalm 128? Your table will be teeming with life and you will enjoy it. And then read the word of God to them. Let them hear the gospel of Jesus Christ. Let them know of the glories of heaven. And when they believe and we see them being baptized like Wilberforce well was baptized this morning, boom. What gladness, what joy. Let's rise up to praise God.